I'm going to read for us this morning from Psalm 16, a Psalm of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, Will. Good morning. My name is Adam. I'm the lead pastor here at BTCC and it's so great to be together today. Now before we uh, get going this morning, I just wanted to mention a couple of things. Firstly, yesterday we had a team of about 11 people uh, go to the Ignite Children's Ministry Conference. Uh, They went there to be trained and equipped and encouraged in children's ministry and I just love that they set aside some time to invest in children's ministry, to see our young people come to know and love God and to be uh, trained up in his ways. And I think that's really exciting. Secondly, yesterday, Ben's already mentioned that the the park roof uh, went up and I just wanted to say thank you for your generosity in making that happen. And I also wanted to thank uh, a group of guys. There were six men that were here all day yesterday putting that roof up to make sure that it would be ready to go and, and it was, they just put in a massive effort. Now, they know who they are. I'm not going to embarrass them uh, and they don't serve for the public recognition. They serve because they love Jesus and they love his church. But I just wanted us to put our hands together to thank them for all that they did. Such a blessing to be part of a, a church community that loves Jesus and that loves to serve. So why don't I pray and then we'll open up God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your church. Thank you that you have made us part of your people, that we can belong to you and that we can encourage and serve one another. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray now that as we open it up together, that you might lead us into all truth and that you might deepen our love for you and our love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how do you feel when you think about the future? If you think about the future, how does that make you feel? 
If you think about the, the direction that your life is heading, what kind of emotional response does that bring up? Maybe you've just started high school and there's a lot of things that are new to you and so you're a little bit uncertain about the future. Maybe you've just started uni. A lot of our young adults just started uni for the first time last week. Maybe there's all these kind of new doorways and opportunities for you that you're excited about, but also maybe a little bit anxious. Maybe you find yourself neck deep in nappies and bills and busyness, and when you think about the future, you just hope that there's a day coming when you feel well rested again. Maybe you're in the middle of your career and it hasn't taken you to exactly where you thought it would and you're feeling a little bit disappointed when you think about the future. Maybe you've come to the end of your career and you're enjoying a little bit more free time but you're also perhaps feeling a little bit lost. I mean, we all find ourselves at different points on the journey of life but I think it's safe to say we all have questions and concerns about the future. And this is probably heightened when we look at the world around us. I've only been alive for 31 years, but it seems to me that we are more angry and more divided than we've ever been. And we look at other things in our world like corruption and greed and abuse and war and poverty and and disaster and on and on I could go. When we think about the future, it's very easy for us to feel a little bit anxious, a little bit concerned and even maybe hopeless. Now, I don't mean to deepen your anxiety even more, but the truth is, and this is one of the main messages of the Bible, is that apart from God, there is nothing in this world that will last. Apart from God, everything in this world is passing away. This is true of the created world itself. I mean, popular scientific theory tells us that our universe is simply the result of a cataclysmic explosion and it's heading for a similar end in a fiery implosion. Which means that if that's true, then nothing we do really matters. One writer says, if nature is all that exists, If there is no God and no supernatural world outside of nature, then human civilization will, in the end, have been just an accidental flicker and there won't be anyone around to even remember it. Now there's a chipper thought for your Sunday morning. (laughs) Now, the truth is, this might even be true of us as well. If, as popular scientific theory suggests, that we are purely physical beings, If we are, as one writer said, nothing but upright animals with a taste for clothes and complicated food. If that's us, then we're all heading for one end and one end only, to become dust. So let me ask you again, how do you feel about the future? Now the very honest and the very helpful answer of the Bible is that apart from God, we have every reason to despair. But with God, we have every reason to hope. And in Psalm 16 this morning, we are going to explore the hope that we have. David cries out in verse 1 of this psalm, Preserve me, O God, 
for in you I take refuge. Now when David looks at the future, he feels in danger. He feels threatened. He feels vulnerable. But he doesn't collapse in a heap. He doesn't cry out in despair. He cries out to God for safety, for refuge, for protection. He takes the advice of Corrie ten Boom, who endured life in a German concentration camp in World War II. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. He cries out to God. And when we feel and think about the future, it might make us feel a little bit anxious, a little bit hopeless. And so we need to learn to do what David did. We need to learn to cry out to God for safety, for refuge, for protection. We've been in a a sermon series for the last few weeks now that we've called Awaken Alive. We've been seeking to, to deepen, to reawaken, to revive our relationship with God. Now so far in this series we've gotten honest with God way back in week one. We've explored the the beauty of God's presence in week two. We've made sure that nothing is holding us back from God week three. Last week we learned how to trust God on the long journey home. And this week we're exploring how we can have hope for the future. This is the point of Psalm 16. It helps us to face the future with hope in God. In fact, in this psalm, David tells us how he faces the future. And this is incredibly helpful because David was someone just like you and me. David faced some incredible problems and challenges. Many of them he brought on himself. Think about the example of Bathsheba and Uriah, his inability to deal with his son Absalom. But other problems that David faced were also brought on him by others. He was pursued by Saul and by Absalom. In other words, David was just like us. He had sins and faults and failures. He faced problems, challenges and trials. And yet what we see in the life of David is this ability to keep moving forward. To keep trusting God. To have hope for the future. And so we can learn from David's example and David's instruction here in Psalm 16. We can learn how we too can face the future with hope. And David actually gives us his secret. David gives us the key to facing the future with hope in this psalm. We see it there in verse 8 where David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Now, there are plenty of things in life that can shake us, but here David says there is one thing that will make sure we are not ultimately shaken, and it is the presence of God. David says, if God is before me, God is at my right hand, God is with me, and if God is with me, then who or what can possibly be against me? This is what gives David confidence to face the future. It's his relationship with God. It's knowing that the God who holds the future also holds him. But notice in this verse that David is not passive. He doesn't sit back and say, well, well, God is with me and so I'll just take it easy. 
Now, in verse 8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me. Now, the word set implies that you make a determined decision and you make conscious action. In other words, when you set your alarm, if you, or if you decide that you want to get up at 4 a.m. in the morning, then before you go to bed that night, you have to set your alarm. You've made a determined decision and you have to take conscious action. And this is what David has done in his relationship with God. He's saying, I'm deciding to live in the presence of God. So I'm going to set myself to live with him and to live for him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British preacher, says, in other words, I say to myself, God is there. He is not a mere term or philosophical concept. He is a person. And I want to go into his presence. I want to know him. I'm going to approach him as I may decide to visit a friend. I'm going to visit God and commune with him. This is what it means to set ourselves before God. And it's so important that we do this because for so many of us, life is so busy. And if we do not set the direction of our lives, then the busyness of life will set the direction for us. It will pull us and take us along in all different kinds of directions. And so we need to pay attention to the present direction of our lives. In fact, this has been the entire point of this sermon series that we've been doing. We've set aside six weeks at the start of this year to ask ourselves, are we awake? Are we alive? Are we spiritually conscious? Or have we fallen asleep? Have we drifted away? Have we even found what we're looking for? Now, if you'd say that you've fallen asleep or or drifted away, then you must resolve to set God before you. To seek him in the midst of your busy life. To compel yourself, to discipline yourself. Not because you have to earn God's love and favour, but because you already have God's love and favour through the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross and his resurrection. And now, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are able to increasingly enjoy life with God and to walk with Him. This is why the Bible says things to us like, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, Colossians 3. This is why the Apostle Paul says, not that I am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, we actively, consciously set God before us, seek him, draw near to him because he has drawn near to us in Jesus. And this is the key to facing the future with hope. It's a real relationship with the real God. But here's the question that you might have. Well, well, what does that even really mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? Well, in this psalm, which is an incredibly practical psalm, David actually gives us four ways that we can set the Lord before us so that we can face the future with hope. David gives us the four things that we need to walk through this life and to face the future with hope and to not fear. The first thing we see that we need to face the future with hope is closeness 
to God's presence. Now, we've already seen that this is the the key, but David really drives his point home in verse 4. He says that if we are going to become unshakable people, then we need to look at the direction of our lives, where we are heading. Look at what he says in verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Now, in ancient times, people believed that there were many different gods. There was a God of war, a God of beauty, a God of fertility, of wealth, of athletics, of parties, and so on. And people worshipped these different gods depending on their preferences or what they wanted in life. Now, we don't really actually believe that these gods exist, but we still run after every single one of these things. We still desperately pursue wealth and beauty and sex and power. We chase after them to to give us a sense of okayness and significance and satisfaction. But what does David say about these gods? Verse 4 in the NIV says, Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. See, if you are running after, if you are devoting your life to something or someone other than God, eventually you'll be shaken. Why? Because even if you actually get what you're running after, it will eventually start to slip away. Your beauty will fade. Your body will sag and stretch. Your kids will move out. Your position at work will be taken by someone else. Your wealth will be left behind. Your influence will shrink. Now, I don't mean to depress you. I really don't. (laughs) But the reality is that everything in life other than God, it can and it will be taken away from you eventually. And this is so important for us to recognize and to acknowledge. Because if you are going to have an unshakable hope for the future, then you need to put your hope in something or someone who is unshakable. And the only unshakable thing in this universe is God. This is why David says in verse 2, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David steps back and and he looks from this kind of bigger perspective. He says everything other than God can be taken away. This is why the first thing that we need if we are going to have unshakable hope for the future, it is closeness to God's presence. The second thing we see that we need is commitment to God's people in verse 3. Commitment to God's people. This is what David says in verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David not only delights in God, but he also delights in the people of God. And if we are going to face the future with hope, then we do not just need closeness to God's presence, we also need closeness to God's people. We need to draw near to and find delight in the church. Now you might say, Adam, find delight in the church? Really? I mean, you're a pastor, so you know, I, I get it. You, you kind of have to say that. But churches can be hard and they can be difficult and they can be messy. We know the Apostle Paul, he wrote 
much of the New Testament, planted many different churches, wrote letters to these churches. He knew more about the messiness of the church than we probably ever will. There was one church, the church in Corinth, that had all kinds of issues. They even had one guy that was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Now, Paul writes letters to these churches, and in almost every instance, this is the very first thing that he says to them. Romans, to the church in Rome. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Ephesians, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. Colossians, we always thank God when we pray for you. Even to the crazy Corinthians, I always thank my God for you. Paul loved the church. And this is why alarm bells should start to ring when you come across a believer who is always discontent and never thankful for the church. Who is always finding fault with the church. A sure sign of our nearness to God is our desire to draw near to His people. Because you know that you need God's people. This is one of the things I love about BPCC, our church. Now we're far, far from perfect. And if you don't know that yet, just hang around a bit longer and you'll eventually discover that to be true. I mean, there is no such thing as a perfect church. But there is a genuine desire among us to be together, to serve one another, to encourage one another. I love to hear about people who who look forward to, to Sunday gatherings. It's a pillar in their schedule where where they're encouraged by God and encouraged by others. I love to hear about people who, who just look forward to their growth group, who cook meals so that they can be given away to others in need, who mow lawns, who meet to pray and and study the Bible, who share words of encouragement, who get down here on a Saturday and, and build a roof so that we can enjoy it and, and reach out into our community. Together, we are the people of God and if we are going to face the future with hope, we need one another. We need other people in our life who can point us to God, our source of hope. If we're going to have an unshakable hope for the future, we need closeness to God's presence. We need commitment to God's people. And thirdly, we need contentment in God's provision. Contentment in God's provision. Now in verses 5 to 6, David describes what God is giving to his people. He describes our inheritance. And he says that it is beautiful. Why? Because it is God himself. David says, the Lord is my portion, my cup, my lot, my beautiful inheritance. Now if you're a child of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, Think about what you stand to receive. You might not have much money. Your parents or grandparents might not have much money or many possessions. But the God who made all things and owns all things, He is yours and you are His. This is why we read in Romans 8 verses 16 to 17. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. 
To be an heir of God means that you stand to inherit God himself. And this can give you unshakable hope in the midst of incredible difficulty. I mean, when you find yourself in the midst of incredible suffering, you might say to yourself, as many people do, well, what else is God going to take away from me? What's next? The truth is, God may take it all away. In fact, as we've already seen, one day he will. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. Someday we will be stripped of all our earthly possessions. But if on that day we possess God only, if we have his love, his approval, his promises, then we will have everything. And if you're walking through some difficult suffering right now, take heart. Your life is not winding down. It has barely begun. In fact, it reminds me of an illustration that John Newton used. John Newton was an English minister in the 1700s. He wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. He says, imagine a man was on his way to New York He's in his horse-drawn carriage and he's on his way to inherit his billion-dollar fortune. But one kilometre outside of New York, the wheel on his carriage breaks and his horse-drawn carriage is useless. And he has to walk the final kilometre to New York. Imagine the whole way there, he grumbles and complains. My carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. I can't believe my bad luck. God must hate me. God doesn't love me. John Newton says, wouldn't that be ridiculous? And yet this is how we often live and act. We forget that we are on our way to inherit the universe. We are on our way to inherit God himself. Lamentations 3 verse 24 says, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. We're going to face the future with unshakable hope. We need closeness to God's presence. We need commitment to God's people. We need contentment in God's provision. And finally, we need confidence in God's promises. Confidence in God's promises. David says in verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Now in this verse, David refers to God's counsel. And in Psalm 1, the the very first psalm in this book, we read, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, the counsel of God is found in the word of God. And this reveals to us the importance of the Bible. If we want to have hope for the future, if we want to enjoy the presence of God, we must open up the Bible. The primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. The more we read it, the more we obey it, the more we absorb it, the more it will take us into the presence of God. In fact, maybe you've heard a friend say, or maybe you've thought this to yourself at some point, you've thought, you know, God doesn't speak to me. I've never heard his voice. 
Friends, God has clearly spoken to us. And he's even written it down for us so we would not forget. And this is why we simply must be opening up the Bible and letting the Bible open us up, change us, transform us. Now, if that sounds daunting to you, because, I mean, let's be honest, the Bible is a big book. If that sounds daunting to you, then let me just encourage you to start small. Maybe you can start simply by reading the book of Psalms. Sit down with your Bible, open it up to a psalm, just read one a day. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate what you're about to read. Read the psalm, reflect on it, think about it, and then pray about what you read. Or maybe if you want help understanding what you read, maybe invest in a study Bible or a whole Bible commentary to help you. Or maybe ask a friend if they will meet up with you once a week to just read a chapter of the Bible together, talk about it, and then pray through it. Or download the YouVersion Bible app onto your phone. That has hundreds of reading plans. You can even hit play and, and the Bible will be read to you. There's an audio Bible built into it. And there's so many different things we can do, but whatever you do, don't do nothing. God has spoken to us. God has given us his counsel. Let's open it up. Let's hear from him. What a privilege. But the truth is, we don't just open the Bible to hear God's counsel. We also open it up to read about God's promises, about what God has done for us and what God will do for us in the future. And in fact, we see one of God's greatest promises here at the end of this psalm in verses 9 to 11. David says in these verses that his hope for the future, it extends even beyond the grave. He's saying, I am certain that my relationship with God, it will not be destroyed by death. It will not separate me from his presence, but I will see him face to face. And David, remarkably, he even alludes to the possibility of resurrection in verse 10. In the NIV translate, it says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Now, when we die, our bodies do decay. And the truth is, even David's body decayed. It's buried out there somewhere in the Middle East. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul said many years later when he preached a sermon to the religious leaders in Acts 13. He said, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Now who's this referring to? Who's the, the person that God protected from decay? The person that, God, that uh, David seemed to be alluding to here in Psalm 16? Of course the answer is Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ hundreds of years earlier. Because the body of Jesus did not decay. He was crucified, dead and buried. He was laid in the tomb for three days. But then God breathed his life back into him. And he walked out of that tomb, victorious over sin and death. And this is what gives us the ultimate, unshakable hope for the future. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's knowing that in him, we too will be resurrected. 
Romans 8, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This is how we have ultimate, unshakable hope for the future. It's knowing that Jesus has paid for our sin and defeated death on our behalf. And if we are in him, we will not be dust or nothingness. We will be glorious and we will be gloriously happy in the presence of God. And it means that what we do in this life for Jesus, it matters forever. It means that the future of this world is not a fiery implosion. But what the Bible says is a new heavens and a new earth. A restored, renewed creation where we will dwell with God forever. So let me ask you again. How do you feel about the future? If your faith is not in Jesus Christ, then let me implore you to run to him. Stop running after things which fail to satisfy and will fail to deliver. The only unshakable thing in this universe is God and he has made himself freely available to us in Jesus If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then when you look to the future, you don't have to feel hopeless or anxious or vulnerable. You can have resilient joy and unshakable hope. You have nothing to fear because God is with you. And you can say to yourself, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us unshakable hope through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and through the presence of your Spirit in our lives. Help us as we go from this place to trust you to step into our very real difficulties with confidence in you, with unshakable hope in who you are and what you've done for us. Because you are at our right hand, Lord, we will not be shaken. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond together. of Jesus on this promise one for me when he paid the highest for once for all on my freedom I will
Yeah.